0: Sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness
1: This series, looking at the Beatitudes, comes from uh, a desire as a church to explore what does it mean for us to be, uh, as Battle Baptist Church, an equipping and sending people. If you think back to the autumn, we were reflecting on that question, what it means to be a praying people. Um, This whole idea of being an equipping and sending people... I suppose in many ways, I would say I want the legacy of this church to continue to be one that models the developing and releasing uh, of all. It doesn't matter what age you are, and uh, doesn't matter what your background is, but I'm actually saying every single one of us has something to bring. Reflecting on this, I'm very aware I have the joy to do what I do as pastor of this church, Because there were people within this church when I was a teenager who encouraged me, who challenged me, who championed me, um, who cheered me on, um, who who guided me when maybe I I got it a bit wrong. uh, But who had a desire to say, okay, what are the gifts that are within you and how are you going to use them for God? And for me, I want that to be the same for our three children. I want it to be the same for the generations that are going to come after them. I want it to be the same um, for all of those who are a lot older um, than our three children. Um, I think it's something that is so essential uh, within the life of a healthy church to say, what have, what have I got to bring? How can I serve God? Um, and how can he bring those things out of me? I know this scares some people, maybe confuses others, um, and I've mentioned it once or twice before, but I believe as a church we need to have something of a hundred year vision. Um, this idea of saying, what's going to be going on in this place in a hundred years time uh, where the kingdom of God is concerned? And it's very easy to kind of say, well actually I'm not really that bothered. Um, because I'm not going to be here in 100 years. Um, Whether Jesus returns or just age takes its course, the likelihood of every single one of us in this room at this point, we will not be here in 100 years. And so we could say, well, why do we even need to think about where we're heading, about what's going to follow on from us? I believe every church has a 100-year vision. The question is whether they're purposeful about it or not, whether they just let it happen, um, or whether they actually go, no, we want the things that we do now Uh, the direction that we take uh, our activities in and the ministries we're involved in by the leading of the Holy Spirit to be such that in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years actually the life uh, and the kingdom is even more evident than it ever was. Uh, that the young people who have headed out, that they will be off, like Damien uh, this evening, You know they'll be following the call of God wherever that takes them. Um, and maybe it'll just take them down the road to Hastings. Um, and that's where God wants them. Maybe it'll take them to a far-off country. Um, but that'll be part of the legacy uh, of us as a church. And so when we come to Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes... Because we want to take seriously, I believe, the power of God at work and all that God has set within us, saying, how will we be transformed? How will we be changed? How will we be challenged to be the people of God in this community and beyond that he longs us to be? Recognising that by the power of his Holy Spirit, anything is possible. It's easy for us just to sit back or we could really go for all that God has for us. As I said last week, um, I think it is at this point that something of a health warning is needing to be given. Um, If you take the Beatitudes, if you read them through, uh, and you actually clock in to what Jesus is saying, these aren't mere platitudes. Uh, There is some power in here that if, well, they shouldn't be taken lightly, is kind of what I'm saying. Not any part of the Bible should be, Um, but the power within these words, the impact and you know, if I choose to actually take these seriously uh, and not just see them as some verses that I've got to prepare and deliver a sermon on, but actually I want them to be something that impacts my life, then what God can do is massive. And I need to be aware that I'm inviting him uh, to do those big things in me. So let's head back to the hill, uh, to the beginning of chapter 5. It starts, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And we come to the second uh, of the Beatitudes today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's very easy probably to relate in one way or another to the concept of mourning. Something that I imagine every single one of us has some reference point. Um, whether something very personal, uh, whether something maybe very recent. It's the idea of showing sorrow, classically for someone's death, or for that, that regret or sadness at something that, that didn't happen maybe, or didn't go the way that we hoped it would and we wished it had. So it's a concept that I think every area of life is impacted by and at different times in different ways and at different levels the commentator William Barclay suggests three ways that we could take these words of Jesus blessed are those who mourn and I I want us just to work through uh, his three suggestions this morning moving to that point where the one that I believe actually what Jesus is meaning by his words on the hill that day so we ask the question Blessed are those who mourn. Is it saying those who are sorry for the suffering in the world? Those who are sorry for the suffering in the world. Suffering is seen and experienced on numerous levels. Pick up the front page of the newspaper. Um, Today, most of it is about uh, the situation regarding Harry and Meghan, but most days you look at the front page of a newspaper and it's picking up on some disaster that's happened elsewhere or some atrocity that someone has done. Uh, We might think suffering takes the form of natural disasters. It does. Things that suddenly, uh, you know, kind of swamp an area of the world. Maybe we think of suffering as those individuals who choose to wield a weapon uh, against someone else. Um, we think about regimes, maybe. We think about uh, poverty. We can think about a whole load of different things uh, that often take place in far-flung uh, countries, long way from here. Maybe that kind of take our focus for a moment, but then actually pass away and something else comes to the fore. Reality is suffering is not something that just happens um Places maybe we've never even heard of. No, it happens on our doorstep. I was reminded of this this week. I picked up this book by John Sutherland called Blue. Uh, John Sutherland uh, served in the Metropolitan Police for 20 years. And he rose through the ranks, ultimately to the position of Chief Inspector. And in this, his memoir, he recounts his journey as part of the Metropolitan Police, but also his, his catastrophic breakdown and his reality of just being crippled by depression and anxiety and his whole world just falling around him. And the book is described, it says it's both a love letter to policing and a very human account of his collapse and recovery. And and I picked it up for, well, there's three reasons I picked it up, really. I picked it up because it was a biography, and I quite like biographies. That's the kind of writing I'll often go to. I picked it up because mental health and depression is part of the story of of our family, uh, and it's something that I want to to learn more about um, and be able to engage with more. I also picked it up because he's British. Um, The background of that is at this conference this week, uh, one of the speakers basically went on a rant to say buy British and buy from local authors um, uh, because um, that's a good thing and obviously you can buy stuff from other places and in certain kind of online shops that do good deals but actually it doesn't often benefit the author. So I, I was in the bookshop and I picked this up and reading it through and I can describe it as like a window into a very small part of our society as he recounts just event after event after event that he experienced, that he saw, that he went through as part of his time in the police force. And just the relentlessness of him recounting these situations, the stories, the pain, the distress, the the loss and the suffering that ultimately led um, to his own uh, mental health crisis. Suffering is something that is not just far off. It's something that is very much on our doorstep um, as well. Well, Another way we might look at it this week, uh, again at the conference, uh, Eddie Lyle, uh, the president of Open Doors, the UK and Ireland, uh, was there. Open Doors works in over 60 countries, supplying Bibles, training, teaching church leaders, providing practical support and emergency relief, supporting Christians who suffer for their faith. And he was particularly sharing the fact that this week uh, the World Watch List is being released, which gives the breakdown of basically the worst places it's to be in the world to be a Christian. Um, and really encouraging those gathered uh, and <laughs> to pray um, for those in world leadership, for uh, those who seek to, to work in these challenging situations. And, and I've heard him speak before, and in the few moments he shared, was just hit again by the challenge for so many is their day in, day out suffering because of their faith, which for us is something we can't even begin um, to grasp. And so is Jesus saying in this, basically, um, we should, you know, blessed are those who mourn for the suffering in the world. That's kind of what he's, he's getting at here. I don't believe that is the the heart of Jesus' message. Jesus' mission, ministry, uh, and his message was one of compassion. You read through the Gospels, you see time and time again, Jesus seek to reach out to the lost and the lowly, to those that society uh, just didn't want to have anything to do with. He modelled it. It wasn't just something that he spoke about. No, he got down in the dirt um, with people. And he didn't care whether it was politically correct. He didn't care whether it was going to look good on his resume, uh, whether the religious leaders or the earth leaders of the time would support him in it. No, he knew what he was about. And he sought to offer that comfort and that compassion uh, to those around us. The thing is, we're to do more than just mourn for the suffering in the world, I believe. We're called to actually do something about it, to action, um, to movement, to follow Jesus. And that's something that will play out in many different ways for us, but I think it's something that we need to to clock. Um, However much, I don't believe it's the heart of Jesus' message within this beatitude. Uh, I shared earlier, and I was reminded in preparing, a lady called Barbara Key, who some of you may remember, she was a member here. Um, her husband Vernon was the kind of one I really got to know because he used to drive me to the house group I went to um, and he drove just like this rally car driver uh, which when you're driving around dark lanes by this guy it must have been in his 70s or whatever at that point is slightly scary Um, Barbara though um, in her 80s travelled to China smuggling Bibles and I think it's just a classic reminder of her so often we can think oh I don't fit or there's nothing I can do um, and there'd be a whole load of reasons we could list uh, why Barbara couldn't have done that, but she chose to follow the call of God. And so it's asking, what does it mean for us to to model that compassion that Jesus did, um, wherever we find ourselves? Blessed are those who mourn. Is it talking about those who have endured, who or who are enduring suffering, those who are going through it right now? I'm aware there's a number here this morning who probably will say I fall into that category. There's probably a number here this morning who no one else knows the fact that you would fall into that category. Um, There's a number within the life of the church at the moment who are physically uh, in need of our prayers um, because health-wise they're not doing that good. And there's a danger. Think about blessed those who mourn. By suggesting that, that this is not how we should interpret those words, and that it could be easily misunderstood that basically, well, Jesus doesn't care. If we don't interpret, blessed are those who mourn as to meaning those who have endured or are enduring sorrow, then is that to say that, well, he just isn't bothered about us? Now, hopefully, as you're sitting there, you're going, no, that's not the case. Um, Because we see again, uh, by Jesus' modelling of his, his life here on earth, that that is not the case. But it is easy when we're struggling, when things are tough. And I know from my own experiences to go, God, where are you in this? hold on a second, uh, you're meant to be faithful, you're meant to be you know, omnipresent, you're meant to be you know, the Alpha and the Omega, but in this moment you seem to have gone off somewhere else and taken your lunch break. Um, and that's not what I read in the Bible. And I think I want to be very clear. I believe that is uh, the lie of the enemy, that we get fed in those moments. Please don't hear that as guilt when you think that, if you ever do, but that's not the case. David Kessler says, uh, in terms of grief, says, the way we experience grief is as unique as our fingerprints. I'm always conscious when people say, you know, I know exactly how you're feeling. The the likelihood is we never know exactly how you're feeling. Um, We maybe can connect with some of it, um, but it's the idea that actually each of us will go through situations, however similar the situations, very differently. And if we take those words of David Kessler, though, and apply them to Luke 12 which says the very hairs of your head uh, are numbered. Don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows. I believe just as the hairs on your head are numbered he knows the unique contours of every one of your fingers and your thumbs and therefore he knows exactly what you're going through. He's there in that moment however unique it may seem however alone we may feel however lost and just ostracized from all else. He is there. Thing is, though, here Jesus' message, as we thought about last week, is one of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the heart of what he's seeking to challenge the people with. That's the heart of what he's seeking to communicate, which I think is why, in some respect, many commentators and authors seem to dodge this beatitude. Um, It's surprising um, that some of them just skip over it and see if it's not even there. Others kind of give it maybe a sentence or two, kind of, so they've they've slotted it in there, but they're not really going to have to grapple with it, Um, because they're just not quite sure how they can not kind of basically pull Matthew or Jesus down uh, as people who are uncaring. Reality is, I think, the heart of what Jesus is seeking to communicate here when he talks about being uh, blessed of those in the morning is for those who are sorry for their sin. Maybe a a harsh message to hear uh, in the world today, um, but very much it builds on verse 3. If you were here last week, we thought about blessed are the poor in spirit, talking about when we realise we have nothing to offer, when we are totally dependent on God... In that moment when we are without any options, Jesus takes those who have nothing. Those who mourn because we are destitute. And there's no words we can say. There's no actions we can perform. We're completely at his grace and his mercy. And it's when we begin, I think, to grasp that reality that the dawning of the hope before us will come upon us. I mean, I was thinking about this. This week I've got various things in my diary. Um, Some meetings I'm going to have already, um, some preparation I need to do, and there'll be other bits that will be thrown in as is the way. What I don't have in my diary, though, um, is the plan to go and buy a firearm. Um, you'll probably be pleased to hear I also don't have the plan to go and buy a firearm and head down to Nationwide um, and kind of pull it out and basically try and walk out of there with every kind of bit of cash and coin that they've got on the premises the reason being is because I know if I do that the consequences will probably not be that great Maybe temporarily, when I walk out of the glorious sunshine, because they say the weather's going to be nice this week, um, and I stand there with my big bag of cash, I'll be like, yes, this is it. Um, but I'm pretty sure the subsequent events will probably not work out in my favour. Now, that may seem a little bit of a, a silly um, example, but I know what I would lose if I did that. The message translation, um, the Bible in contemporary language of the second beatitude, it says this, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Maybe you might relate that to, not necessarily going to Nationwide and uh, buying a firearm and all that sort of stuff, but I don't know if you've had that moment when you've lost one of your children and you're out in a shopping centre and you can't find them and it's a busy place um, and there's that moment of panic. You knew they were here and suddenly this whole load of thoughts are running through your mind and all that sort of stuff. What does it mean to lose what is most dear to you. To feel like, you know. And in that moment, that I believe is when the comfort that God offers us comes into play. It does beg the question though, what is most dear to us? Just taking that translation of that verse for a moment a little further. What is most dear to me? What's most dear to you? might kind of go, well, I don't know. How do I, how do I begin to work out what that is? Maybe look at the way you spend your time. That will give a, an indication. Think about the way that you spend your money. What are the priorities? What are the things that are essential? And what are those things, well, actually, they can just wait. Your focus or your energy... Maybe just think about the conversations you have, the things you talk about the most. What are those things that come to the fore time and time again? This week over a dinner at the conference, there's a group we, we sat and Tim said, he said, uh, he said, what are your top three interests? And it's one of the spur of the question, moment questions, but a great way of just getting to know people a bit better and that sort of thing. Afterwards, I refreshed though, I wonder whether my relationship with Jesus should be one of those three. And if it is, or if it isn't, where, where, where would it come? Now, hopefully we'd say, actually, our relationship with Jesus is more than an interest. Um, it's more than something that we just dip in uh, and dip out of. But hopefully you get my point. It's so easy to just go along with the flow, to be a part of what is taking place, to, to give all the right signs. But actually, deep down, our heart and our passion for Jesus, to follow him in reality is somewhere way, way down the list. now I don 't believe this beatitude or its application is a call for us to go around with glum faces, um, to say, "How can I suck the joy out of everyone else's life tomorrow? woohoo that 's what Jesus wants me to do." no, um, before anyone thinks that what's being uh, put across. Uh, but as with the first beatitude. It is about taking stock, I believe, of where we find ourselves. The reality of what life looks like. And actually going, okay, what is it that I need to deal with to be able to follow Jesus more fully? I mean, the best bit is, as Michael Green put it, those who mourn, they have seen the depth of the world's suffering and out of their sin, When this is true, we are wide open for the comfort of God it's in that moment when we realise we have nothing to offer, it's in that moment that we realise that our, our sin is, is too big for us to do anything about it's in that moment when we truly mourn because we have nothing to offer that the comfort of God comes in and can impact our lives in a way like we have no idea. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I pray that the words of Jesus will not just be words that we hear and we think about briefly, but we will actually go, okay, how do these impact me? What what difference should they make in terms of who I am? as I seek to receive the grace that God has for me and the opportunity to serve him. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that is within it. And I pray that by your spirit, as you have been meeting with us afresh this morning, as you have been speaking to us, I pray that the things that you have said, we won't just dismiss or... Move over, but we will take hold of and deal with Lord. And maybe this morning, that's some of us, maybe people who need to respond to that invitation to know Jesus. That opportunity uh, to recognize that we get it wrong and we can't solve it, but actually God's love is greater. And that if we seek to move beyond living life for ourselves, but following his son, then his grace is there. Maybe this morning, for some of us, Lord, we need to ask, you know, what is most dear to us? And there's some things that we need to, to lay down. Well, there's some reordering in terms of the priorities. Maybe this morning, we just need to receive your comfort. Father, I pray that you will move by your spirit now in this place. I pray that you will prompt us to have that conversation with you and to respond to the things that you're saying. Amen.